0: The name Kino Cummies will be familiar to many as a radio personality from a couple of years ago. I actually met Kino when I did a presentation to the Jacaranda FM team, gosh, must be over a decade ago now, and he built a significant career in broadcasting and in media over three decades, really, and has recently transitioned into a really interesting new space around innovation, around social development, around entrepreneurship. He has a unique ability to connect uh, stakeholders and resources in exciting new ways and has developed a space in Cape Town called Innovation City that is becoming a bedrock really for innovation in the mother city and together with that is deeply involved with Rob Paddock and the UCT Online High School which I was fascinated to hear more about. So this conversation, the eighth I believe in our original by tradition glenlivet series is a shorter one uh, but one jam-packed with insight and inspiration my name is mike stopforth of course if you're enjoying the series please go back and listen to the earlier episodes Uh, don't hesitate to give your feedback we'd love your reviews your comments your shares and yeah we're about to wrap the series up so the next two episodes are going to be incredible and we look forward to what comes after that but without any further ado this is kino cummies You know, thanks for taking some time. I think let's just jump right in. I want to uh, I want to hear a little bit about your journey from broadcasting to innovation. Yeah. How how do you make that leap? Because my sense is a lot of people that grew up in the broadcasting world sometimes struggle to extract themselves from it. You seem to have done that with uh, yeah with great success. Tell us your secret.
1: Well, you know, you know, Mike. I think the secret is not taking yourself too seriously up front when you're in broadcasting so you know you get different types of people who broadcast people who get on radio and it becomes them mm. they define themselves by the microphone sure. and I was never like that I was I, I fell into broadcasting because I put my foot in the door you know, 20 odd years ago yeah um, I was fortunate enough to get in but I've always yearned to start my own business one day and I've also been fortunate enough to spend a lot of time on talk radio, so that helped mould mm, me. Mm. And essentially, it's the advice I give executives. You know, these days, I say to them, you always have to think about where you're going next. Yes, you're in a great, you, you you're part of a great gig. Yes, you're earning some good money, but at some stage, you're going to get sick and tired of it. At some stage, you're going to ask yourself, what the hell am I doing with my life, Yeah, which is where I got to. And you have to plan for that moment where you eventually take the leap long ahead of schedule. And that's what I've done. What I started doing right at the beginning is I started you know, interviewing entrepreneurs. The cliched one to go for, of course, is Raymond Ackerman. (laughs) I was fortunate enough to sit down with him. And then, you know, eventually you get caught up in the and donor of, of, of talk radio. And eventually I got sick and tired of that. And I said to my team, let's pivot and talk about the good things happening. Let's talk about what's happening in business. Let's talk about mm. the innovators. Let's talk about, you know, all these people doing some good stuff around us because huh, let's face it, if you're listening to news each and every day it's easier to get depressed, yeah. right? And I wasn't going to re- lead myself down that rabbit hole. Yeah. And as we started talking about innovation, um, talking to amazing people, chatting to VCs, chatting to people like yourself with great insights, you know, that 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 really planted a seed in my brain. And I said to myself a couple of years ago, I'm going to leave this. I want to get out of radio and I want to be Mike Stopford. Huh? Right? So <laughs> um, that is essentially the road that I led myself on. You've got to reinvent who you want to be Way before you
0: have to be that person is essentially the the, the bit of advice that I do give people. I love that. Sort of building fate runway, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's not enough written and spoken about the challenges of professional transition. And I think maybe because it is a relatively new idea. I mean, the world that our parents grew up in was a world where you worked in one career and maybe had three or four jobs and the transitions were within one sector and maybe from one big business to another and you kept your head down and behaved yourself whereas today our our transitions are not just from one job to another but sector geography yeah. culture there, there there are massive transitions that we go through and it can be can be difficult to reinvent oneself through that process but yeah it's really interesting to watch your journey and how well you've you. uh slipped into that new role um so, so the, the question I'd love to ask, because I think about this a lot, because innovation is a word I use too in uh, the framework of consulting and in thinking about how organizations yep. respond to digital change. How, how do you define or think about innovation?
1: You know, it starts, for me, it's not difficult to think about innovation. You know, when I talk about starting an innovation journey, I, I sort of don't get involved in all the models and all the other fancy stuff. I start with people around you, right? It's with your eyes and your ears and it's really understanding how life is lived around you. And innovation is that the seed is planted within that. And I've spent years on radio listening to people talking, and you sort of see how real innovators get innovative. They spot a challenge. They end up going, okay, but surely this is not what life Should be all about. Surely we can improve this. And they go on that journey of of self-discovery, which is very important. So for me, it really is about finding solutions to problems that you see. It's not more complicated than that. And I use a process called effectuation. Hmm. Right, Not like Keb Flats effectuation, like effectual <laughs> thinking Right, is what I'm talking about here. Effectual thinking, I mean, Saras Sarasvati from, from, I think it was Darden, uh, coined that, and, and there's a wonderful book on it, hmm. where obviously you, you have to be aware, right? So know what people are doing. Listen actively. Stop talking so much. Listen to them. Hmm. Spot that particular problem. Identify for yourself what you think the problem is going to be. Then what you do, you then look at your own skills, Right. What is it that I can do right now? What's what's my ability? Right now, what can I do to get started right now? Then I ask myself the question, all right, what's my acceptable loss? Because the last thing you want to worry about is, is, is putting money into things and going, Oh, shucks. What if I lose my house? What if I lose this? What if I, so to give yourself peace of mind, I think defining your acceptable loss is, is absolutely essential. And then the third and the most important thing. And this is what certainly gotten me to where I am. And it's still a long way to go. Who do I know in my network? Mm, mm. And, you know, linear strategy at the moment is BS, quite frankly, because we've got COVID, you've got double exponential growth in technology, you've got people's mindsets that have changed dramatically. I mean, the big resignation and all the rest of it, right? Sure. Lots of things are not the way we at least knew them to be. And then once you start chatting to that particular network of yours, and hopefully it's a good network, and not just like you sat on the corner, you know, drinking beers with, <laughs> you then start defining what the solution potentially can be. Mm. And then you know, once you've got that initial framework in place, I then go back to design thinking. I love design thinking, not the complicated stuff they teach you at university mm-hmm. because, I mean, they, they do complicate the living daylight out of you sometimes, and, but just the simple principles, right? So you've done that problem definition up front. Yeah. Um, so that's that. You then need to do the empath- empathetic insights. Go and see exactly how people are experiencing it. Why? Um, look at other people who've had to deal with similar issues? How did they solve it? You know, and, and once you immerse yourself into that, you then obviously redefine what your particular problem is. And then the rest is obviously history. Yeah. You start working on the ideation and iterating and all the other fancy stuff until you deploy it. So for me, it starts with awareness to answer your question. And then that awareness is followed by, that's general awareness, self-awareness, right? Uh, defining your limitations, and then finding really good people around you to help you make things fly. And for the rest of it, it's organized chaos. (laughs) Indeed. So that for me is how I see innovation, and
0: that is how I suggest people deal with it, especially in this new normal of ours. A a lot of the conversation, the narrative around, and even the definitions and case studies around innovation Mm. in business – and I guess even in the public sector are inherited from very kind of US centric or Eurocentric models or ways of thinking yeah. or modes of doing business. Do you think about innovation differently because of our context or do you think that that's overcomplicating it? You know, how, do you, how does your thinking change because we're operating in, in this place with our nuances? Yeah, you see, but that
1: nuance is everything. Sure. Um, <laughs> you know, so I don't know. I tell Toby Shapshack, you know, he's got some really good traits. <laughs> some of them. No, I'm just kidding. There's a good friend. You know Toby as well. He yeah, did this presentation, well. I think. You know, he showed this dark continent, and then he showed Europe with all the lights, etc. It's the dark continent where the leapfrog innovations emanate from, mm. the deepest, mm. darkest Africa, right? If you immersed an environment where you can't do anything but innovate to improve lives. I think the context from which you see innovation, enact innovation, is very different from, let's say, a European um, idea of innovation. So let, let's talk about some of these impact funds. I'm not going to mention any names, right? But you you, you get European innovation and their innovation is all about let's do oatmeal masks, mm. Well, oh, that's great. It's cool. It's a very European problem. Go ahead and solve it. Um, in Africa, we've got issues that can cost lives. Sure. We've got massive genie coefficient on the continent. Our country is certainly top of the pops when it comes to leading the way. Woo-hoo. So, well done us. <laughs> how <are> you, <laughs> first in the world. So, so how... <laughs> You know, we first aid and don't, don't forget about maths and all the rest of it. But, 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 but that to me is—I'm you know, not saying it's great because people are suffering. For me, it's a great challenge. Yeah. And you have—if you have people who think solutions, because we I, I should maybe just move away from innovation. I mean, what does innovation really mean? Effectively, it's just finding solutions to problems, finding better solutions, sustain, more sustainable solutions, um, and solutions that in fact impact people's lives. Because you also get the innovation where people extract out of society, take their money and hide it in Delaware or Switzerland or whatever, and those are the people I choose not to deal with. Sure. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but I do think geography and, you know, societal makeup, socio-economic challenges, etc., really frames how you see innovation, and then culture, very important in terms of how you implement that, how you even extract information. So yes, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I do give a damn about geography, and I think it does play a role, and I think we need to own our own innovation. We don't need to take business models from Harvard and MIT, and we can take the good stuff, and then we can go, but hold on, the practical implementation means that sometimes we need to take great frameworks and then and it's a bit like studying you know your post-grad stuff um you don't you you can take models you can bend them you can do whatever you need to with them as long as they make sense and you've got throughput at the end of the day that you can measure
0: yeah there, somebody shared a, a metaphor with me the other day on this topic around kind of imagining innovation as a journey and yeah within the relatively structured relatively predictable contexts of let's say australasia or the us or the uk there's this really nicely paved highway with beautiful vistas there's a little bit of congestion on that in fact there's a lot of congestion on the highway but you feel you know like you're guaranteed to get to a point and you'll enjoy some views on the way but you're kind of all going the same way and that's that's cool Whereas our journey, the main roads a little dodgy. So, like, you're encouraged to take some alternative routes. And on those yeah. alternative routes, you discover really interesting things. You know, you stumble across a, a, a strange little pub or a weird little shop or a, a beautiful right. piece of scenery that nobody else has seen before. And I mean, it's an oversimplification of the innovation journey. But the point being yeah. is that we get to entertain variables and possibilities that are just not available in a more structured, more rigorous uh, context, more regulated context in some case. Now, both of those have their pros and cons for obvious reasons. And sometimes chaos is, I'd prefer to have a little less chaos. (laughs) It would be nice. Um, But it's certainly from a creativity perspective. If creativity is combining data points in different ways to, as you say, find new solutions to problems then we've got more data points, and that's really great. So it means that potentially the solutions we produce will be will look differently and maybe function differently, and that's pretty exciting, right? So you've created a space for exactly that, haven't you? You've got the space in Cape Town. Tell me a little bit more about Innovation City, the, the location.
1: Okay, uh, the location, Mike, is, well, it's in Clough Street in Cape Town, the old Long Longclough buildings. The whole building used to be run by Travel Start, Innovation City is taking over 75% of that building. The reason and how we got to this, I was approached in October last year by a very good friend of mine, Stefan Egberg, who also happens to be the founder of Travel Start. And Mm -hmm. he'd just returned back uh, or returned from Stockholm and said, Kino, imagine we could get people to collaborate. You know, it took me one conversation with him. I resigned from double I, the tech firm I mm. worked with. And I said, I'm doing this because this is, talk about finding something that you're really passionate about that right you've in your always been wanting to do, right? I found it. Yeah. And yeah. it was a bit yeah. of a leap of faith. Um, you know, because you work at a tech company, the salaries aren't shabby and it's nice and comfortable. Sure. But the, the, the one thing about working with a tech firm is trying to herd engineers around strategy was, Challenging enough for me to want to take on another challenge. (laughs) And, and, you know, here we have it. 3000 functional square meters, right? The whole idea is to bring together startups. We already have launch Africa that have moved in a $25 million US um, dollar fund. We've got some other announcements, a massive fund, but we can't talk about that right now. Okay. We've been chatting to some massive corporates, so the whole idea is to get in the corporates, to get in the funders, to get in the scale-ups, the startups, uh, people with great digital skills, and also to start building a pipeline of digital skills. Because as we all know, we don't have enough digital skills in this country, and it's great that Amazon's arrived here, it's great that Google's around, but what a lot of these companies do, and I can talk about this from a, from a, from a tech firm's perspective, is they just take all the talent and you're chasing your tail, and you've this got developer danger, yeah. inflation and all those sort of things. And that's mm, really mm. knocked a whole, a whole lot of dev firms quite hard. So we're also looking to develop, this is obviously a medium to long-term play, you know, the necessary skill sets in line with market needs. We're not yeah, just going to yeah. teach you Ruby on Rails. I found out Ruby on Rails actually wasn't some drunk person who stumbled onto the tracks the other day. The um, Beatles song. Yeah, <laughs> you know. You know <laughs> and, and it's not just about, hey, we're going to do PHP, we're going to do all of this. No, 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 no. We're going to understand what industry need looks like within mm. our context and then start developing that. We've been chatting to MIT CSAIL with their managing director, chatting to UJ Center for Intelligence Systems to also create an enabling environment around MVPs, POCs, et because those things yes. are also very expensive. So that's it in a nutshell, really, getting people who think alike to get together to collaborate and accelerate innovation is essentially what we want to do.
0: Amazing, amazing. And I think that, that notion of cross-sectoral collaboration is critical yeah. as well. Um, we can't really see innovation through one lens. We need the buy-in of big business. We need public sector support. We need the funders, as you said. Um, yeah. And then obviously we need the innovators and entrepreneurs that are the, uh, the catalysts. Uh, but a mm-hmm. bit of a dead-end street if there's no fertile soil for that, that kind of activity, yeah. right?
1: Exactly.
0: Your, your other project linked or separate the high school talk me through this really oh. fascinating new new uh, initiative i mean education is really kind of key to something that i care deeply about and and i'm invested yeah. in um tell me about that project all right a quick break in play i hope you're enjoying the show and i hope you're enjoying our glenn Livett original by tradition series a wise man once said we are what we repeatedly do Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. For me, this is what being the original is really all about. It's a mindset, it's forward-looking, it's progressive, it's about not backing down to conformity or accepting mediocrity. It's about questioning norms, breaking assumptions, it's in the way that we combine resources creatively and use our talents in ways other people hadn't imagined. Ultimately originality is really about people who are determined to do things on their own terms Redefining the way that we think about things like culture and success and achievement in the process originality is all about how we draw on our roots and show up winning again and again and again a big thank you again from me to the team at Livet for making these conversations possible if you're enjoying the show as much as I'm enjoying recording it, please don't hesitate to share it with your network. And now, back to the podcast.
1: Wow. The Valencia Institute. You know, the, the thing about retiring and, and, and sort of finally cutting ties with something you've done for almost three decades, you sometimes think, oh, great, I'm going to relax now and I can do a little dev thing. And. Um, <laughs> You know, That's literally, <laughs> a couple of weeks into that, and I want to talk about networks a bit later, but, I mean, this is everything I've achieved is as a result of trust relationships that I've built mm-hmm, over mm-hmm. not just a year or two, but over many years. Yeah. I, I remember driving back from the mall with my wife, with my slops and my, you know, shorts, and just having a lack of time, and I get this phone call from someone else who I've befriended, Rob Paddock. And Rob's like, Kino, it and... uh like I said, Rob, been a long time. And he says to me, Listen, I can't talk about this right now, but we're launching UCT Online High School. I've always wanted to do work with you. Can we chat about it at some stage? I said, Yeah, sure. And we I was all excited about it because I am passionate about education. Um, we had this chat and he was talking to me about this concept of UCT Online High School. He then said, Listen, I'm not sure what you're gonna do, but um, you know, something like Head of culture sounds good. I said, damn, I'll take any title. If I get to work with you, I'll happily do that. We're still trying to figure yeah, it's out. It's difficult not actually.
0: to be infused with enthusiasm around the Paddock Brothers, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Oh, man, I love them. Yeah. Sam and Rob. I'm an absolute legend, right? You know, Valencia Institute obviously emanated out of Get Smarter and them selling it to two you and all the rest of it. And, and mm-hmm. obviously Sam's gone on to do some amazing stuff in the fitness arena. I did try it. Yes. Sam, I do apologize. Yeah. I lost it a week. I think it was. Um, yeah. but with Rob, it, it was interesting. Education is something I'm very passionate about. I've always been very contrarian when it comes to, to high school, the way we teach, the need to go to university. I mean, I sit on the board of a university, but you know, I'm still saying to people, not every kid needs to go to university. You know the the biggest problem they should be sitting with at the end of matric is their little business they've started, and yep. how they're going to find time to study further and do further education. Education and further education is another story, but anyway, mm-hmm. getting back to UCT Online High School, they've got such a great learning model, right, where you are supported all the way. So, you know, first and foremost, the teaching or the education itself is is pre-recorded. But but it was purpose-built from the ground up, very interactive. The fact that we are limbic beings before we become these sort of prefrontal beings is, is something that's top of mind as well. Um and if you understand that kids and their limbic system is much more developed than and you know, and some people only develop that at forty. Yeah. You know, the the prefrontal cortex side of things. And if you appeal to the limbic system and then help build the logical side of the brain. You, you, you really get much better understanding and a much better outcome at the end of the day. And that's really what it's they like do. like exercising in, a
0: muscle, right? Exa- yeah.
1: Exactly right. So what, what they do is it's interactive. The best teachers, in terms of teaching, deliver those classes. I did say that they're very interactive. Uh, Storytelling is a big thing as well. Mm. Um, mm. And then you've got this learning model that surrounds that. You've got teachers. Now, In a traditional school, a teacher has to put together the lecture or put together the learning for the day or the teaching for the day. And they've got a mark. They've got to be five or six different things. And then, oh, yes, by the way, they still have to pay some attention to the kids. So not very effective in your traditional schools. But UCT Online High School in Valencia, those teachers... The only thing they do, it's all data-driven, right? Because everybody's online. As soon as they pick up a challenge with one child or a group of kids, what they do is they do one-on-one sessions to assist Mm. them or group sessions to assist. It's also mastery-based education. So you can't move from block one to block two unless you've mastered block one. Because we all know what it's like by the time. You know, you get to the end of mathematics in grade 10, you're like, what the hell did I just study? Uh, I can't remember any of the stuff. So mastery-based education is very good. They've got support coaches that help them as well. You know, so it's determined. and, And because it's digital, I mean, you'll understand this. Um, we can determine the pace at which each child has to learn. We give them a suggested timetable, what they should be learning when. If they're stronger in maths, they probably spend less time, spend more time on geography or whatever it is. But they're stumbling blocks. And what that support coach does is really assist you. If I want yeah. to take a, 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 if I need to go and do skateboarding in China and I'm not going to be there for a week, it's the support coach that assists you with, Amazing. you know, reconfiguring what you do. And there's also, Um, You know, people that assist from a psychosocial perspective because if you're not in a good headspace how do you learn and it's that type of learning model that really is effective it's not like homeschooling where the parents have to do everything parents and guardians are kept in the loop all the time we have guardian assemblies we've got assemblies for young people Uh, the other day we had DJ Black Coffee on I mean our our school song was put together by uh, Good Luck Youngster, I mean, a whole lot of really, really good artists put the school song together. And it's also Not about... some
0: operatic colonial tune. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did you Have you heard it? No, I, I haven't you. yet, actually. I'll look was, it up. Was, yeah. it's, very, it's very, very, very South African and African, I think. Uh, cool. It's absolutely... I, I, hopefully it actually gets up on the charts. I mean, that's what we want to achieve. going to be amazing. Um, but you've got all of the support. It's in a virtual environment, but we don't leave it there. We've got societies that they can join, their get-togethers between different grades, but physical get-togethers. You can play sports together. You can do coding. You can do cartooning. You can do a whole host of things. If you're into cooking, you can do that as well. So it really is an amazing, amazing model. And I've heard people complain about it, but it's because they compare. and I mean, there was one professor in particular who complained about this, uh, but she was comparing apples with, like, grapefruit.
0: Right. And no no new innovation, no brave attempt at a new solution will ever be perfect on the first iteration, right? So uh, and I think an expectation of that is unrealistic at best and also damaging potentially to the to the stakeholders. But uh, I you know, one of the advantages of a of a predominantly online ecosystem like that is its replicability. It's how easy it is to copy and roll out in other circumstances and that's exactly what we need right we need exactly. um, highly adaptive systems on top of academic rigor and on top, which is Correct. arguably the oldest and most staid architecture in the world and and i think the blend of those two is extraordinarily powerful so i mean i think uct need to be commended for that yes. um, bravery that is a courageous yeah. move um, but really excited to hear what you guys are achieving and um i mean if ever there was a space that needed innovation and needed reinvention. It would be our education system, right? Like you fix yeah. that and you fix a lot of other problems.
1: Absolutely. Mike, if I can just add one one thing to this, right? Yes, it's the, and I'm not, I'm not in some PR campaign. I just, I just love what, what is being done at the school, but also mm. in your poorer areas where we know young people don't have access to stable internet um, you know, mm. walking to school, catching buses, etc. Massive issue. We actually have centers that we develop in partnership with other, with other people where you've got someone who's there to monitor what young people are doing to assist them, stable internet, etc. So, it is important, so important for us to look at inclusive education when it comes to this. We're working with corporates now to assist with sponsorship as well. Because even just over 2,000 rand is a lot of money for some people in this country. Sure, but sure. those kids deserve, deserve decent education. You know, and I always make jokes about the Stellenbosch mafia and whatever. And, <laughs> you know, it, it. And even if you look at where VCs put their money, they put their money in six or seven geographies around the world. Right, and the assumption is that that is where all the brilliance lies. And to your point earlier about you know living in a different type of environment, some of the most brilliant people live in townships, live in the Cape Flats, yeah. live in areas that are underserved, and
0: yeah. it's everybody's duty to find them and help make them shine. Yeah, your your commitment to that and passion for it really is is uh, encouraging. It's good to see that that people are applying. Business and technology uh, learnings, lessons, tools, yeah. platforms to what I mean. We could debate is probably our biggest challenge. So, yeah. our listeners will know that my favorite two questions to ask normally come at this part of the show, and I, um, I think I primed you for them, which means I gave you an unfair advantage over most you people did. that I normally just. Throw- I was oh, kind of oh, hoping did you, you didn't. By the way. <laughs> Um, (laughs) well good then they're going to be fresh Uh, but the two (laughs) questions I love to ask and the one is kind of a direct follow on from what you've just discussed but um, if you could introduce a book or a published work as a compulsory Reading topic for young South Africans in their school career If you could put a book into the high school system and insist that everybody reads it What book would you insist that they put into the system? Oh, well, there we go. That was easy uh, The subtle art of not giving a frog um, Absolutely I'll, I'll,
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll talk through that very quickly because, Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, that's basically says, you know, we're all fallible beings, right? The sooner you start realizing what your blinking shortcomings are, right? And you own those. I mean, you can work on them, of course, that's important. Yeah. And you also understand what your strengths are. Yeah. Then you can just get on to the business of, of, of just doing things. And we all worry about all sorts of crap around us all the time. And literally, we should all have a few F's, right? That we do give. But you can't of give course, an F about everything. So you of need course. to choose the battles you fight. And I think this book really sets and it gives you a deep dive into and <laughs> into real stories and how people have actually managed to master that. And that's why I love
0: that book. Um, as I much must as confess I I've it. not read it, but perhaps I need to uh, add it to the, the pile next go to on. the bed. Um, and then the second question is, almost hmm. an extension of that, uh, yeah. if you could go back in time to 18-year-old Kino and whisper a hmm single sentence of advice to him what would you what would you tell young i would tell him have a little bit more confidence in your ability because i was uh,
1: very much of an introvert and was worried Mm. about what everybody thought about me and it limited me and i would have also told myself what i tell my 19 year old today go out there and go and stuff things up go and learn because one of the best education or the best bit of education you can you can certainly create for yourself is by making those mistakes and learning from them. And, you know, you're 47. I'm 47. I leave a cushy sort of environment. And now I'm busy trying to make the mistakes and sort of create this life that yeah. I, I really aspire to. I should have done that a long time ago. And it yeah. helps you program the brain,
0: you know, for, for the future as well. He or she who dies with the most memories wins, right?
1: Yeah. No. Life's a book. Yeah. Every yeah. month is a chapter. You've got to write the damn chapter.
0: Make it it's memorable. Amazing. Yeah. My friend, thanks, thanks for your work. Thanks for your you, passion. Mate. Thanks for your commitment to innovation. We know how critical it is and thanks for doing the work that i think many are not courageous enough to step out and try and there's Thank a lot you. to be learned i think from your transition professionally and i'd love to maybe chat to you more about that at one stage i could certainly Absolutely. learn a lot from that and there's uh, many who i think are trying to master that that journey so uh, look after yourself and i hope to catch up Thank with you. you for a coffee or a beer in cape town
1: i'd love that mike and listen i still remember when you addressed us at prime media and uh I was listening and hanging on to all of those words. So people like you inspired A me past, as well. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> cool,
0: man, yeah. Chat to you soon. Nice yeah. one, guys. Thanks for all that. Thanks, thanks. You've been listening to the One-Eyed Man podcast. I'm Mike Stopforth, an entrepreneur, writer, and public speaker, deeply curious about discovering better ways to lead and better ways to live in an increasingly complex world. I find the best source of these ideas is the experience and wisdom of interesting people who are taking unconventional approaches to solving the world's most compelling problems. If you'd like to hear from someone I haven't yet spoken to, visit mikestopforth.com, click on the podcast link, and send through your suggestions. A big thanks to the Solid Gold Podcast Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, for making this production possible. And remember, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man... Slash person is king. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.